podcast and I'm your host James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show I've got Reese Jones. He's a two-time Paralympian having competed in London 2012 and Rio 2016. So welcome on to the show, Reese. Thank you very much. So before we delve into today's episode, Reese, can you talk about talk us through your journey from obviously your humble beginnings uh, in the Welsh Valleys to to the high heights that you've made of making two Paralympics? Well, it start it started off by accident, really. Um, I was in school. Uh, one day and my friend was talking about a disability football club that had started up um, only recently as it it was back then and um, he told me about it I said yeah can I go along to it and he said go for it went for a training session in a pair of vans pair of jeans and they said yeah get stuck in so it all started in about 2008 um and from there, it snowballed, really, because it went on to play badminton for Wales at the Special Olympics in 2009. And then from then on, the football coach was the covering disability sports officer for my area. And she bombarded Disability Sport Wales with a number of emails saying, this boy is rapid, you, ha- you have to have a look at it. And... In May 2009, went for a trial with Disability Sport Wales, and as you say, the rest is history. So you're not one of those athletes um, per se that uh, Anthony Hughes was uh, scouting through, or you've probably heard the stories of him waiting outside uh, supermarkets and whatnot. (laughs) For people listening, it sounds a bit dodgy, but obviously the, the athletes between Disability Sport Wales is knows that. That's probably where he got a lot of his athletes from. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wasn't one of them. <laughs> oh, it makes a change. <laughs> <laughs> I, have heard, I have heard about uh, the scouting uh, methods from swimming and all different various sports. <laughs> I think the likes... Uh, well, there's quite a few... Par- a lot of them quite gone on to the heights of achieving quite well in sport um like Stephen Thomas is one is one of them and it, it's it's quite it's when you hear it you're thinking is that really what you do <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was um I said um one of the guys from disability sport Wales knew who I was anyway um a guy called Simon Hollyfield and um Anthony asked him, basically, is it true that this guy is, you know, fast? And he said, yeah, I've had dealings with him in, in the past. And, yeah, he's a real talent. So, as I said, it, start, it started by accident, really, because um, I overheard my friend talking about a disability football club. He didn't actually say to me about it. Um, I'm not the nosy type. But I thought, well, I've got nothing going on in my life. And... Basically, my PlayStation was my best friend. And I said to my parents, can I give her a go, see what happens? And who would have thought the 
eight years down the line, I would have been doing everything that I'm doing. And kind of, you, you say your PlayStation was your best friend. So would you say you were not of a sporty nature when you were younger then? Um, I loved football. Um, but being the only person really with a physical disability in school, it was hard. Um, not many people would want to bother with me. I was called slow, clumsy. Um, basically, they said, don't give the ball to him because he'd give it away off the team. So it was hard because they said I loved football, wanted to play football, um, sport mad, really, anything other than darts because I, I don't consider darts a real sport. <laughs> Why is that, though? I I just don't... I don't... <laughs> I wouldn't say that it's not a real sport because obviously it is because it takes hours and hours of practice. But at the time, I didn't see it as being, I thought you just chucked a stick at the board, you know, and that was it. And kind of going on for your career now that you've got to two Paralympics, what are kind of your aspirations going forward? Um, I obviously want to win a medal of some sort at the, at the Games, um, whether that be Tokyo or um, as it is 2024. Um, but, you know, what I want to do, I just want to be the best that I can be. I I just want to get the best out of myself. And along the way, if I inspire others to do so, uh, take up sport or, you know, just do anything really, then... No, I I know I've done a good job. And obviously, you you've not had the best of lucks with this season. You 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 managed to make the world champs, and I think I was reading off your Facebook. You posted some of your best times, even though you spent the majority of the season injured. So talk me through that kind of mindset there. Well, it was it was hard. Um, winter's training was going so well. Um, Posting times, uh, we were doing speed endurance things like oh, uh, reps of 200 meters and absolutely destroying them, you know. Um, but then I, do, I don't know whether it was a case of it happened straight away or everything, but I had a stress fracture in my toe and it was hard to, it was hard to come to terms with because as I said, everything was going so well. And then for in a split second, I wasn't even training when it happened. I was walking to training, so um, I was going by the Millennium Stadium or the Principality Stadium as it was, and I just felt a weird sensation in my foot. And I thought um, there's nothing wrong because I'm still walking on it. Went to see the physio that day, and he said, "Oh, it's a muscular problem. You know, maybe a tough uh, calf was tight, and it was pulling on." Um, some of the bones in my feet and I thought right okay then fair enough started training on it um, could put pressure on it and by the end of that week it was all doom and gloom you know I couldn't put any pressure on it at all I was walking on my heel rather than my feet and um, yeah they told me the next day that I'd had a stress fracture and I'd been a boot for six weeks and then a further four to six weeks of uh, rehab uh, out of the boot. So that wasn't leaving much time for the uh, qualification date, really. It was the beginning of June that we had to qualify. 
and by the time that I would have been out of the boot, it would have been uh, the end of May, so I would have only had about one or two competitions uh, to qualify. But I came back early. I came back two weeks early out of the boot and then two weeks early out of rehab as well. Um, just having a positive mindset, really, thinking I am going to be going to London. You know, it was home world championships. And obviously experiencing London five years ago, it was... Um, it w- it would have been hard not to go, you know. It would have been it would have been devastating. But uh, as I said, we we made it. Um, didn't think that I was going to make it because I w- wasn't really posting quick times, as you would say. But um, yeah, I got the phone call off the head coach, and she said that I'd been selected for the hundred meters. And okay, well. Look, look, looking back through your kind of career as an athlete, you've been quite fortunate to compete at home. Because I was just talk, thinking over the top of my head, you've competed in London, obviously with the World Champs this year, the Paralympics yeah. in 2012, and then Swansea as well in 2013. Oh yeah, it's been um, it's been class really. Um, who needs sunnier climbs, isn't it? When you got the likes of uh, London and. Swansea and Glasgow as well with the uh, Commonwealth Games in 2014. So you've, you've probably been flush with that's that's almost unheard of. I think I've competed at home, well, in a longer career, <laughs> twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this um, it's mental, really. I said I've been to I've been to some places as well. Um, went to South Africa on a training camp in 2015, been to Doha in 2015, went to Rio in 2016. But yeah, it's, um, when the able-bodied guys got the likes of uh, Moscow and um, Beijing and everything, and you're thinking, oh, I've got Swansea <laughs> and, and <laughs> London, you know. <laughs> but I'm not complaining, you know. It's um, It's been the hell of a ride, really. Oh, but I think any athlete would probably swap the, well, I wouldn't call Moscow exotic, but <laughs> say Beijing for being able to compete in front of the home crowd, the family, and obviously a very passionate, uh, supportive crowd. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, my, my parents and my family have been supportive. You know, my parents have followed me around the world. Um as I said, they've been to Doha, Leon, Rio, um, anywhere they can really, because they've been so supportive, and I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for my parents and my family. And obviously, now that you're in your down period after the World Champs, is it all go in terms of looking at obviously because you're a Commonwealth athlete? Is everything looking at the Gold Coast? And trying to qualify for the Commonwealth team now? Um, it is, yes. Um, my classification isn't actually in the Commonwealth Games as it was in Glasgow. We have the um, T3800 metres, uh, which is the next uh, class up from me. But we've been told that if we are in a certain um, area in the Commonwealth, like uh, in the top eight, I think it is, then... Um, we have a chance of going. So um, 
as of next week, it is all uh, all guns blazing towards the uh, Commonwealth Games and the Europeans in Berlin. It was busy, busy, busy time then. Oh, very. Um, I said we need to keep improving. I said everyone needs to move forward with their sport. So we just need to find ways of doing that. Um, whether that be on the track or in the gym or said any anything really is just moving forward and yeah i just want to keep progressing well you've been well i've kind of kept a, like a little bit of a close eye on what you've been doing in the gym how you've been doing on the track as obviously well you could say former teammate because we were teammates in london 2012 so to speak and yeah. kind of seeing how you've progressed in the gym you've probably come on leaps and bounds in terms of well like squatting and things like that. So you're obviously seeing probably the benefits on the track from those improvements. So in terms of kind of coming back to that injury again, you were able to post, I think, what was it, the third fastest time this year in the heat? Yeah, in the heats of London. So talk, talk to me a little bit about what kind of emotions that brought up when you seen that come up on the big screen. Um, it was really weird. Um, I'd had, uh, an abscess that week as well. So I was dosed up on painkillers, uh, that week. So it came as a bit of a shock to me, but at the same time, when I was running, normally when I run a personal best, I'm on the floor, I'm like on my knees or anything, but there was a lot more to give. There was really a lot more to give. and. No, for someone who had spent four months off the track to run a personal best and by quite a bit, not just like point not one of a second. No, it was it was phenomenal and run to do it in front of a home crowd. No, it was it was it was just spectacular. And I was talking to Jared Wallace about this and obviously the mentality between you racing in the heats and the final. Do you think it was Obviously, with you, because you, I think you run a little bit slower in the final. Do you think it's that added pressure that a final brings that sometimes you kind of tense up a little bit more? Um, no, I think um, what my honest opinion of this was that with the abscess, um, it was just getting me down. Um, the painkillers took over, and I think the worst thing that I could have done was have gone to sleep on the Wednesday night. Because um, I think the adrenaline had actually been taken over by like the painkillers and the actual pain of my mouth. Um, I just think the for for me, uh, I haven't been fit enough over the past five years to actually be doing the rounds. I think if the heat and the final had been on the same day, then I think it possibly could have been a different outcome. But he said it's all if buts and maybes. It's all done now. Um, I I don't think it's pressure as such. Um, I I managed to cope with pressure. Um, he over over the past five years, I've come out with a Commonwealth bronze medal after being out for so long, and a European bronze medal as well. Um, but yeah, I think last year and this—well, not even this year. Last year was the longest that I sustained uh, sustained a training period without 
been injured. So um, I think it comes down to lack of fitness for me. Um, as I said, I'm I'm injury prone, so I've torn quite a lot of muscles. I've um, had stress fracture, bone fractures, uh, bone stresses. Sorry, and um, he said, "Yeah, I've I've built up my fitness a lot." Um, but he said, "Yeah, rather rather than pressure, like you try to block it all out when you're on the start line. You know, you can't think about anything other than yourself." And yeah, the the thing of not being fit is just what I think it is for me. But then you say it's not a lack of fitness, but then do you think it's because you're injury prone that is just mounting on some underlying issues, so to speak? Um, I'm, I'm the type of person that won't give up and won't say no. Um, so... No, I I just want to be the best that I can be. If if we've got a certain amount of reps in um, in the session, then I'll want to do the full however many reps. Um, sometimes I've just got to learn to back off slightly. Um, you know, uh, give my body a rest. Um, for the past couple of years, I've been training extensively, and thus, you know, I've pushed my body to its limits met more times than you know that I've had cooked dinners you know um and I think that's for me is what what I need to do I just need to back off a little bit but Reese, does that not come down to a little bit of inexperience or do you think that you're having that change in mindset now because you're getting uh more knowledgeable as an older athlete I think it comes down to knowledge. Um, we, as I said, when when you get older, you learn more about your body. Um, I'm sure like, a lot of athletes will say when they were younger and they first started out, they just, well, sprinters wanted to run or swimmers just wanted to swim. But you do, it comes to experience, um, learning how your body works, what's best for you, what's not best for you. And then, um, pretty much, just said no. It is. It does come down to experience. I I do agree with that. And said I've matured more as an athlete and as a person in the last couple of years. Um, I'm 23. So it's been eight years now that I've been doing the athletics, and um, I've. I, it has taken a long time to notice, but I do. I do know my body now. And in terms of like your progression through athletics from obviously starting out as a 15-year-old to now, how much has Disability Sport Wales' academy helped you to get to the heights that you have done? Uh, they've helped massively. Um, you said it wouldn't be where I am as well without Disability Sport Wales. Um, they've given me a lot of help. Um, both coaching, um, S and C, um, you know, it, it is being part of our academy has made me the athlete that I am uh, and the person that I am really. And in terms of, I think this is correct, but quote me if I'm wrong. Uh, you've obviously had a change to working with Christian Malcolm now. 
how was that? How did that come about? And how has that kind of spurred you on to possibly, well, you've kind of seen some of the results come to fruition this year, but kind of as a partnership going forward, what do you think some of the uh, goals could be and what do you think is attainable in the future? Um, it all came about really because um, I was training up in Loughborough and, um, you know, I, I just, it, it was just the fact that when it came to competition, it didn't seem to be, I wouldn't say progressing, but the times weren't coming down. Um, so as every athlete in their life feels that it's time to seek new avenues, um, is that Christian Markham came on board with Disability Sport Wales in 2016 and I thought it was a good opportunity, you know, moving back home, uh, not travelling three and a half hours to training um, every week and um, the fact is that he's, in my eyes, one of the best um, technical sprinters that Britain has ever had um, and you know he's um, he's a medalist himself. You know both world and you know Commonwealth. He's a been a four-time Olympian. Um, you know he's he's had his struggles as well uh, with his injuries, and he he's just come out of the competing environment. So I think having the youngsters that he does well, I say youngsters I'm a old stager really um but um now being being that close to our age it helps because he still has that um he knows what what to do he knows what we what we need to go through um you know it, it hasn't come easy for him well it doesn't come easy for any athlete really um but we we work well as a unit because um, he's more technically minded. He's taught me basically how to run again, um, ma- making the most efficient way to run. And the, for going forward, obviously, every athlete wants that gold medal, um, whether it be World, Olympic, Paralympic, Commonwealth, European, you know, um, going forward I obviously want to be the best that I can be and the best in my classification so if we can get that result then yeah it's going it's uh, going in the right direction and as I said got um four pbs now in two years so obviously something's working <laughs> but then on reflection from that if you kind of analyze it you say you got four pbs in two years what was kind of the downside beforehand? What was what was kind of the the time scale between PVs before you switched to working with Christian? So I um, went up to Loughborough in twenty thirteen, um, twenty thirteen to twenty fifteen, and I last PB'd before twenty sixteen in twenty thirteen. So um, you're talking a period of about three years. Um, well, two to three years, yeah. And um, that's, as I say, great things take time. Um, 
but for me, it's taken a little bit longer than I would have uh, I would have liked. <laughs> but in terms of having to go to Loughborough, was it because you were directed to go there because it was a centralised programme, or was it through choice? Um, we were told that it was pretty much the way forward. Um, the best coaches slash coach was up in Loughborough, and you know, you, you take the advice of, you know, get if you want to get better, then, you know, you move forward. Um, so I'm, that, that was through um, being told, really. Um, it was my choice as well. I was given the choice, did I want to move or did I want to stay? And to be where I want, where I want to be at the top of the podium, then you, you do have to make, those sacrifices and those choices. And you were saying, obviously, with that sacrifice, you had to travel there. Would it not have been possibly easier to have up sticks and possibly move there full time if that was possible? Um, at the time, I was still um, maturing um, with the disabilities that I've got. Um, Mentally, I'm a couple of years behind everyone that's my age. So um, I'm not totally independent either. So it would have been hard for me to move away from my family, um, not being able to see them probably until like weekends or a couple of weekends. Um, and I'm I'm open about this. I'm a home bird. You know, I, I really um, am where my family are and it would be it would have been hard to up sticks and they said move three and a half hours up the road well, i could see where you're coming from in terms of that it's i think i think some athletes prosper a little bit better when they are in that familiar environment that's what you, you don't even have to say their home comforts but i can if i use my kind of experience because if we go back a Oof, over a decade now <laughs> uh, to obviously my time to try to make the uh, Welsh team for the Commonwealth Games. Well, this would have been back in 2005, trying to make the team for Melbourne. Uh, obviously, I moved. Uh, well, my family obviously were uh, being in the military over in, in Belgium. So I came back to Swansea in the summer to, to work with uh, Billy Pye and to well, try and do my utmost to try and make the team. And because I wasn't in familiar environment, family wasn't around me, obviously the, the, the training was good and the workload helped. But when it came to competitions, I'd, I, I was swimming the worst I'd ever done. So you're thinking like you were talking about, if you're in that environment, well, I can see, because I wasn't in probably the right frame of mind, emotionally, possibly physically, because I wasn't getting the benefits, probably getting the training benefits, but I didn't actually see them come to fruition until I was back in like familiar surroundings. So you're thinking, Oof, what stress and other things can do to you and, and obviously to your performance. So I could see where you're coming from in terms of it's probably looking at each 
as athletes, individual circumstances before making decisions. Yeah, definitely. Um, what works for one athlete doesn't necessarily work for every athlete. Um, he said, having my family around me um, definitely helps. He said, the, my parents um, have come to every major championships and every small competition um, like to qualify for, for the championships, you know. Um, having them there is is essential, really. I know a lot of athletes don't like their parents um, coming to watch them compete or whatever, but for me, it is, uh, I feel, an essential part. And being at home in my, ho- in my own bed that I've had for, you know, I've, I've been living at home now for 23 years, um, and just driving, like the most I've gone now to drive to training is 40 minutes. Uh, and that makes a hell of a difference than three and a half hours. But then you, you, you were saying, you know, athletes that don't like their family around them. Uh, well, for me, it's, I think mine is a little bit different because obviously my close family know how I operate at, well, operated as an athlete I won't say it doesn't bother me in the slightest now of being a domestic athlete if people are there or not whereas probably my extended family uh, probably didn't know how I operate I probably got better towards the end of my career being oh, how would I put it not self-centered but you think of other people's feeling as supposed to they come to watch you you can't just shun them away and because you're not happy with your performance and what and whatnot, and whereas my mother knows that's how I was an athlete, uh, be it good or bad results. I think the only occasion that that wasn't the case was back in Beijing. I I, I probably surprised be it my coaches, uh, family, because I said I was happy with the result, so to speak, and because I like you said early on in in the episode. As long as you do the utmost that you can, there's nothing you can do if somebody does better. So, and that probably shocked them. And I've always been, I've kind of that man, mindset, probably after that going forward anyway. Whereas I think before that, it would be sometimes you'd put, you'd bring up excuses as to why somebody beat you or oh, I possibly didn't try hard enough or something like that. Whereas with that one, it's like, well, I did. I threw it. I threw the kitchen sink at it, and it wasn't good enough. So, and you kind of you kind of move on from there. Uh, yeah. Def- well, there's no point making excuses, really, is there? Um, it's the same um, playing field for everyone on the day. Um, said if you throw everything at it, then there's nothing more that you can give. And at the end of the day, you congratulate. Um, the people that are better than you. As I said, I finished fifth in um, London and um, I congratulated everyone whether they came first or eighth, you know, and I'm friends with them. And there's, you know, you, you're happy, you are happy for, for your friends. But as I said, the thing that lacked me this year was the fitness. Um, that's not making excuses. That's a fact. Um, so I'm... I I'm always I'm always striving for more uh, with my performances, but then I know that if I've given everything at it, then at the time I'm happy with it. 
Well, Reese, when you say fitness, do you mean as in the, the base block of the of your winter training period, or something else, but in terms of like speed work or something like that? Um, I, I I'd say I missed the best part of the speed work, being out through the injury. Um, what what time we had to do what we could, I I give everything out there, and I did progress. But as I said, yeah, being out for the four months, you know, whereas everybody else seemed to have um, a better training, uh, a training period, then that—that that was what just happened for me. You know, the just sustaining the rounds, it was it was hard because I said if if you'd been out for four months, then. You know, you you do you struggle, don't you? I don't know with with the injuries that you've had. If you've been um, if you oh. if you've been out for a, a certain amount of time, then you know it's hard to get back to where you need to be. At my elite stage, I'd never like say how long would I've been out? I think in rowing. The worst one I had, I was out a week, and that shocked, that surprised people because I tore a little bit of my rotator cuff. So, and I was surprised at how fast I healed. And I, I was on painkillers for a week, no, obviously no training, which is a bit disheartening when you, when it's. I won't say it was the entire life because I was I was a student as well, but it's it's quite difficult to come to terms. Obviously, that's a part of you at the time. I think with with volleyball. I think it would have been maybe a month or month or two, but that was because I kept it would it would settle down. I'd go back training, reaggravate it. So it was one of those kind of niggling injuries. You never, I never actually. Well, I got it for, finally resolved, but it was it was probably me going back too early and, and probably just reaggravating it, which is I think now I'm older. And I've, well, it's probably an injury I've got now. It's probably similar, but it's in the other arm. But I can kind of say, well, you, you learn from your mistakes back then. I, I'll, I'll, I'll try and stay off it, get it sorted, and then obviously go back to training competition. And well, it probably doesn't help now at domestic level. I don't have the luxury of having physio on tap, so so it probably won't get sorted as quickly as it would have done in the old days. Uh, yeah, um, so for for me, if I give you a bit of an insight, um, over the last five years, I've had um, bilateral sportsman's hernia operation. Um, I've torn my psoas. I've torn both my adductors. I've got a nine-centimeter scar tissue in my one hamstring um said the bone stress the bone uh the stress fracture um as you can imagine you know these they they not just niggles um in the 2013 season i only managed five weeks of training because i had um underlying problems from um my back i had to have a cortisone injection to free up so much tightness that i couldn't bend over to do my laces up or put my shoes on, you know, it, it got that bad. So when, when I say like fitness wise, over the past five years, I haven't just had niggles. Um, I've had proper injuries. 
And in terms of kind of looking at it from a strength and conditioning point of view, race, do you think you are a better conditioned athlete now and possibly, as we say, going forward than you were back in 2013? Definitely. Um, I'm stronger. I'm, uh, I say I'm fitter. Um, but, you know, fitter from um, a physiological point of view. Um, I'm at a weight where I'm happy with how my performances are um, going. Um, I'm not just lifting weights now for the sake of trying to lift heavy weights. I'm understanding my body and how much I can uh, lift or push or anything. Um, he said, it's, it's all tailored now to me. Um, and if someone else is doing something else in the gym and they say, you oh, know, I got a PB, then good on them. Um, if I, I, I'm just about maintaining my strength and maintaining my conditioning. And yeah, I, I, I honestly think that I am a better athlete um, conditioning wise and strength wise in 2013. And if we happen back to kind of your experiences now of competing in the Paralympics, which one do you think was, in your opinion, the better atmosphere to compete in? Uh, London, by far. Um, being a home games, it was just phenomenal. You know, 80,000 people every single day, every session in um, the stadium. Um, you know, arenas were full. And for me, it was my first major games. Um I didn't have the experience of a European Games or um, a World Games or anything. Um, the most that I had competed in front of was about 2,000 people at the test event in May that year. Um, to then go from 2,000 to 80,000 was um, pretty special. And they were all cheering for me. That, that was the thing. And I don't think I'll ever get the likes of that again. I know we've just had London um 2017 um it was a smaller capacity but obviously the crowds love their power sport and they'd always get behind the british athletes and in terms of this probably a poignant question here race if you had to choose between competing in your first paralympics would you have chosen to have done it in London or maybe somewhere abroad where there's less uh, possibly media scrutiny, so to speak? Um, for me, it was all about not having that pres uh, pressure on me. Um, I went to London uh, as an ex uh, for experience. Um, I honestly... It would it, it it was great that it was in London. Um, didn't have to travel that far, but um, he said there wasn't so much expectation, and I it, I don't think it would have mattered really whether it was London or whether it was somewhere else. Um, no, uh, I I like going abroad now. I um, I honestly don't mind it, and. The fact the fact is that you know, London was probably for me. I you you've been to 
more games. But for me, it will always be my best memory, whether I win a Paralympic medal or not, because it was my first games and because of that support and the amount of people that did actually turn out, that will always be for me my best memory of a Paralympic Games. Oh, you're actually wrong then, Rafe. I've, I've done the same amount of games as you have. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think for me, I think maybe because I started out, well, you are in, in a sport as well that is predominantly... Uh, expected to do well in be it the Olympics, Paralympics. So it's it's it it doesn't help sometimes to be it being your first game because it was the same with me with Rowan. Obviously, well, it was it's Paralympics debut, Paralympic debut, but it's got that pedigree with its Olympic counterpart. So it's like, well, uh, it's got all this history with its obviously Olympic counterpart, well, the other, the Paralympic team should um, do as well. Obviously, with, to kind of cut a long story store, obviously, what was told to the media was make a final, whatever. But in obviously, as you know, in-house, you have sometimes higher expectations of yourself, which you don't kind of portray. And then obviously, if if you don't meet them, it's kind of it's not as bad, and it's not that kind of media scrutiny. Or you didn't raise to your expectation. Whereas, if you kind of say, "Well, is the final is good, and everything else is a bonus," when you meet that, when you kind of make that, it's it's the pressures off. And it's for me, it was a weird one because that's the most relaxed I've ever been in my entire career with my first Paralympic final. Yeah, yeah, that was that was for me as well. Um, my my first event was in the two hundred meters, and um, I went in ranked uh, second slowest on paper. And I just thought, well, I'm going out there. I'm going to go have fun. It's a crowd. They're going to cheer for me. Um, and you know that that thing of being there and doing what you love is. Um, it, it, it does take that pressure off you. Obviously, as you said, you, you have expectations of yourself. Um, I never tried to look too far forward. Um, my intention at the moment and always has been to do myself proud and run the race as best as I can, as I can run it. Um, and then the times will take care of themselves. If it's a PB, it's a PB. If it's not then, you know, the performance that I've given on the day, is it adequate? You know, you, you do, you um, assess your performance over and over. And um, for for me, running a nine-tenths of a second PB was, was what I loved about it because I didn't, I didn't really know what happened in that race because all I thought was oh my god this crowd is absolutely amazing and they just roared me around the bend and um, as uh, from from that day on all I wanted to do as I said is be the best that I can be and do the best that I can and as I said anything that 
comes my way after that, whether it's a final or whether it's a PB, whether it's a medal, then, you know, it's, it is a bonus. And I take each day as it comes and each run as it comes. I don't look too much forward. I said, in training, if we do six runs, I don't worry about the sixth run. When I come to the first run, I worry about the first one, then the second one, all the way up to the sixth one, you know. Um, and just think, could I have done better? And if you always, you, you should never be happy with your performance, entirely happy with your performance. Um, you should always strive to do better. And that's what I do. That That is exactly what I do. I strive to do better. Um, I'm always happy if I come back from an injury and do a PB. Um, who wouldn't be, you know? Um, but for for me, that is that that's my motto. I take each one as it comes. And now, Reese, this might be a little bit of a controversial question. Do you take more heart from competing for Wales and the Commonwealth, or for GB in any major games? Um. <laughs> I don't want to offend no one, but, but um, for me, I wanted to get back from injury for the Commonwealth Games. As as you know, um, from a parasite, we don't always get to represent Wales at every Commonwealth Games. So for me, it would be my first time. It would have been in Glasgow, so it was near enough for home uh, games. And the pride for a Welshman is always to put the three feathers or the dragon on your chest and do yourself proud and do your country proud. And um, being my first major international medal, um, running for Wales was absolutely incredible. And I'll never forget it. Well, I think, as you, as you say, it's very, very emotional and very patriotic of, to do it. I've unfortunately never... Well, I haven't got the opportunity. I've had trials, obviously not made the team. So I've always been on the outside looking in. And you, I think the sports that obviously don't get to compete in it, I wouldn't say we're jealous, but it's a bit envious that because you don't get to do it, you might get to, I don't know, compete for, for Wales on it, be it at lower competitions, be it uh, disability sport, England's events, uh, in swimming or athletics or whatnot. Whereas, obviously, when I was in swimming, I had that opportunity because it was there. And when I've moved across, it's kind of been, well, it doesn't exist. So I kind of have to get on with my career and just kind of accept it. And that's, that's the only one that's probably from a, probably a good, successful career. That's the only one that's not there. Uh, I um. I, I, it is, people are envious. Um, it's no, it, it is, it's an honour. It's a massive honour. Anytime you put a, um, a Welsh vest on, whether it be domestic or international level, you always wear it with pride. And for me, you know, being Welsh is, is the main priority. Um, but representing GB, not not taking anything away, because representing GB is the highest honour you can have. And I'm just lucky that I've been able to do it on um, multiple occasions. And hopefully, as I said, if I can make the Welsh team for the Commonwealth Games and Gold Coast, 
then I'm going to do my best. I'm going to wear that vest with pride. Um, you know, I keep all my um, all all my kit, whether it G, whether it be GB or whether it be Wales. And every time I dig it out and I look at it, um, take it to school visits or anything, you know, it brings back memories, and they're all fond memories. Um, is it wearing that dragon or those three feathers? You know, it's um, it's a major honour and something that I will always cherish. And you say you've kept all your kit. You must be inundated with it, though. Oh, my um, my attic is full. Um, I I was counting the bag. I was I was actually counting the bags in my head the other day. That I think I've got something in excess of about ten bags up in my attic. Um, I don't even know how. The, uh, I think we'll have to build an extension on the extension, to be honest, by the time that I'm finished with my career. <laughs> no, I think the, your parents will say you need to get rid of some of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, they've, um, they've said I need to make way if I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be going on. So <laughs> and I'm only 23. Well, I think it comes back to, well, uh, you could probably donate stuff to... I don't know, your local school, if you've not done it, um, memorabilia and whatnot. I've not, well, be, be it kit swap or uh, giving it to charity or schools and whatnot. I've not got, I'm not, I've still got piece, pieces of probably every, every games, but it's obviously it takes up space and it's, yeah. it's, like you say, it's nice to look at. But then you still got the pictures as well, so it's I don't I don't know it doesn't come out as much as it used to, but it's I think a lot of people do I think they're more surprised because yeah, I would say you're probably humble as well. You don't bring it up a lot that you do your career like your sporting career unless somebody brings it up themselves because. I think, well, I think as an athlete's mentality, anyway, you kind of move on anyway. That's the game's finished, be it Worlds, Europeans, Paralympic Games. What's in the past now? I can't do anything about it. You've got to move on to the next one. And I think that mentality kind of goes across, and this is probably me speaking now because I've retired. It kind of goes into your next chapter of your life. Okay, that's a that was a section of my life. So to speak, it can't have a bearing on what I do now. If you want to talk about it, we will do. But I'm not going to put it in your. I'm not going to put it in your face. Yeah, exactly. That's my. That's my feeling. Um, when I run now, I run in my club vest. You know, the Ronda Athletics. Um, I do a lot of speeches for um, you know different schools and whatnot, and I'll talk about it. But you know, I, I, I just see it as, um, you know, I've I've done it, and yeah, okay, I'm I'm not gonna throw it down your throat because you know I'm moving on to the next part. You know, we've got um, is it Commonwealth Games in um, Gold Coast and Europeans in Berlin next year, and you take it one bit at a time, you know. What happened in 2017 has happened in 2017. As of Monday, 2018 starts for me. Um, as regards kit, I'll always want to keep my first GB kit. 
and my um, first Welsh vest. But then after that, yeah, I am going to have to start making room because, um, you know, they say trophies gather dust and memories last forever. And you'll always have that memory of, um, for me, it'll be London, those 80,000 people screaming for me. Um, the first time that, you know, put the Welsh vest on, um, after that, you you represent GB, you represent Wales, and as you said, you move you move on. When hopefully when I retire, um, I have a lot more vests, a lot more medals, um, you know, and then you can talk about it. Um, but yeah, being being who I am, I just want to focus on the next thing rather than looking in the past you know you should you should never look back you should always look forward but then you said keeping your kit well for the listeners well I, i'd say our kit is almost like gold us everybody wants it yeah yeah exactly exactly but as i said like the school the school you you grew um you went to um the club that you started with you know you got you got to give it back um to them because even though the my PE teachers didn't start me off in sport um, and my school always looked after me um, they made sure that I did what was right for me um, you know they always put my sport in career um, I wouldn't say they put it first but they supported me when I told them that I would have to go to London and they said well we can defer your exams and you can come and do them next year there's no a set thing of you have to do them in second year sixth form um, so really I am grateful to where it started for me and you should I put in an Instagram post the other day I went down the local track and you know you got to remember where you came from because you know they place places and people have put you uh, put you in the first step forward i i i am honestly grateful to everyone who's been on this journey with me and continues to be on it with uh in the future i think i've seen that picture as well it, it was it was quite surreal because it didn't it doesn't look like a modern track. No, it's um, actually it's an old cinder track. So um, yeah, the local athletics uh, club train on there, and any time that I can actually help with them, um, you know, it's about giving. As I said, giving back to the community, and um, they. I don't train with them because my training nights are on the same nights as them. But they have always said the, you know. I'm a part of the club, so I am eternally grateful to them to wear the uh, mighty purple and gold of the Ronda Athletics Club. And last question for you, Reese, before we wrap up the episode. If you had to summarise this entire show into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Informative. Um, it, it gives... I, I'll probably go on for a paragraph now rather than a sentence. But um, 
it gives people an insight as to what the athlete or person is about. And I think that by doing these podcasts, a lot of people will learn what people are about. They're not just, you know, the faces out there. They are, they are genuine down to earth people. So once again, Reese, thanks for coming on the Mindset Game podcast. No worries. My pleasure. And I wish you the very best in, obviously, the seasons to come. Thank you very much. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it will be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast.